So up till now we've been speaking about how deed, speech, thought, and even holding on to the emotions that we have felt is something that the Benini can master by being honest with themselves about their innate love for Hashem, yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are now at the next paragraph. It is different, however. Everyone has the place? It is different over that something that is entrusted to the heart, namely, that evil should be actually despised in the heart and abhorred with absolute hatred, or not even quite absolutely. Okay? So the contrast is hating evil. Okay. So if you recall from chapter 10, I'm sure everyone recalls, that we describe the tzaddik as hating evil with either an absolute hatred or a non-absolute hatred, depending on the love, right? So, what I want to point out is that the difference between what we describe the trait of the Bainini versus what we're about to describe is that the trait of the Bainini is focused on how we deal with the emotions that we feel, right? And this is talking about which emotions we feel. And now, the second thing I want to point out is which emotion are we focusing on specifically? Hatred. Hatred. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about this now, even though, even though it's a little bit premature, but I think now is the best place to talk about it. One of the things that we're going to see as the, the chapter goes on is the distinction between the expectation to be a Benini versus the expectation to be a Tzaddik. And that while everyone is capable of being a Benini, being a tzaddik is a little bit more complicated. Okay, I'm gonna just leave it as a little more complicated. I'm not going to say you can't, I'm not saying you can, I'm just gonna leave it as it's more complicated, okay? This has led to two fundamental mistakes that occur in the way Tanya is often taught. So mistake number one is complicated gets turned into impossible. So being the expectation to be a bane is something that you are expected to straightforward, whereas the expectation to be, uh, sorry, the expectation to be a is some straightforward expectation. The expectation to be a tzaddik is not a straightforward expectation. It gets turned into, you, can, you, you cannot actually be a tzaddik. Okay. And then that gets turned into that since the tzaddik is the matter entrusted into the heart, therefore, because you can't be a tzaddik, you shouldn't worry at all about growing in your kind of inner life and emotions that the, the work of the Bainini is focused strictly on their behavior. And as we've discussed already in this chapter, if you read this chapter, is the, is the work of the Bainini all about just controlling the behavior? No, no it's, it's centered around the issue of behavior, but it's how do you deal with behavior in light of contrary feelings, and that happens by going deeper into yourself to let go of those feelings and allow yourself to choose the proper thing, right? Okay, not robotically controlling yourself, not um, coercing yourself into compliance or anything like that. Okay. So it's not just about pure behavior. Now I want to focus on the other thing. There are a lot of things that a person should work on in life. So let's begin to do the samples. Trusting Hashem. Okay? Is trusting in Hashem necessarily a behavior type of a thing? Right. In other words, it's entirely possible that the person who trusts in Hashem, the person who doesn't trust in Hashem, will end up doing effectively the same things. Okay. Trust in Hashem is primarily something that we experience emotionally. Right? The the, 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 the duties of the heart says that trust is that sense of calmness that we have because we know that, our, we know that the good thing is going to happen. And we know the good thing is going to happen because we know that Hashem cares for us, and He's capable, etc., etc., etc. Now, obviously, someone who trusts in Hashem, that will affect their ability to do things, right? For instance, they're not going to compromise in halacha because they feel financial stress if they feel trust in Hashem, right? That's true. But even if the situation is where the, the behavior is identical, you know, both people going to work, both people are being honest, but someone who's not trusting Hashem should definitely grow in trust in Hashem, and not just because it's good for your sense of well-being, it's a mitzvah, okay? Um, another thing is the joy in doing mitzvahs, right? Joy in doing mitzvahs is something that um, doesn't necessarily change whether you do the mitzvah or not, right? 
And it maybe adds a little extra to how you do mitzvah, attitude to doing mitzvah, or maybe even hither mitzvah, beautifying the mitzvah. But even if it doesn't necessarily lead to a concrete change in the actual performance of the mitzvah, there's still an idea of doing the mitzvah with joy. Okay. Um, there's an idea of, there's the mitzvah of loving Hashem and fearing Hashem, which again, a person might be in perfect compliance with the mitzvahs, but lacking love and fear. So there's a lot of things where a person growth is really oriented not in ensuring that I'm doing, thinking, saying or thinking the proper things, but that I'm experiencing the proper things in my relationship to Hashem. I just named four of them, right? Trust in Hashem, joy, um, love, and fear, right? Are those tasks something, are those tasks, we're going to say, okay, there's the, there's the, the path of the working to be a Bainani and there's the path of working to be a Tzaddik, yes? There's the Tzaddik um, service and there's the Bainani service. If someone is focusing exclusively on the Bainani service, right? And they say for whatever reasons, whether rightly or wrongly, um, they've come to the conclusion that the Tzaddik is something unavailable to them. Does that mean love of Hashem, fear of Hashem, trust in Hashem, joy in doing mitzvahs, all those things are not in his purview because their matters entrusted to the heart and he's supposed to be focused on ensuring that his thoughts, speech, and action are proper? Or are those things that even for someone who's trying to be a Bainani and they're not attempting the service of the tzaddik, these types of more emotional areas of growth are also something relevant to them. Which, which way does it go? Why can't a Bainani work on his own purity? Right. Well, well, what does it say here? It's going to say, we just said that everybody can be a Bainini because a Bainini is only about turning away from evil and, right? And now we're contrasting that. It's different, however, with something that is entrusted to the heart. Oh. That's not something that is going to be attainable to everybody. Now, we're learning that it's complicated. Okay, so everyone is, I don't, it's wrong for us that you can't be a, you can't be a Tzaddik. That's, that's not strictly speaking true, and we're going to address that later on in the chapter. But the idea that everyone can be a Bainani, right, has to do with turning away from evil and doing good. Has to do with making our thoughts, speech, and action are, are in alignment with our true inner self and our connection to Hashem and don't get hijacked by the animal soul. Okay. Maybe some feelings are able to be created or... Jewish, have natural love and fear. Oh. Does know, before we answer the question, does everyone understand what I'm asking? The, 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 the text said, this everybody can do, different for this other thing. Okay. Now, if you look, which feeling does it mention is something that is... Not quite so excellent. That, he, he says, it's different, however, with something that is entrusted to the heart, namely, which is the thing that he's referring to specifically? The hatred of evil. Why does he pick that example? Like, wh- wh- why does he something he had given the heart, such as trust in Hashem, or such as love of Hashem, or such as... I think it's interesting, like, why that? Easier to add than to take away. Explain what you mean. Because um, growing in your love of Hashem is... That's exactly it. The difference between the Bainani and the Tzaddik is where they're, where they're addressing the animal soul, not the godly soul. I'll explain to you what I mean. If you don't trust Hashem, so work on trusting Hashem. You don't have a love of Hashem, work on loving Hashem more. You don't fear Hashem, work on fearing Hashem more. You don't have joy misses, work on having joy misses more. Okay? We have an animal soul. And the animal soul manifests on two levels. One is the emotional attachment to klipa, and the other is the acting on that through thought, speech, and action, which are not for the sake of getting closer to Hashem, not for the sake of heaven. Sorry, yeah. 
Klipa means something which conceals godliness. Klipa literally means, the Hebrew is for, means a shell. Anything that's unholy is called in Kabbalah, Klipa. Just like the shell covers over the fruit. So, the difference between the The, the, the difference between the path that the Bainani is working on, the path that the, that the Tzaddik is working on, and what we're going to say is something obtainable to everybody versus something that is not necessarily the case, is whether or not the godly soul's ability to um, defeat the animal soul, is that play out on the realm of the thought, speech, and action, or does that play out on the realm of the person's emotions? Okay? In other words, if you have an enemy, okay, and you're attacking the enemy, it's very different to attack the enemy when they're outside of their stronghold versus attacking the enemy when they are inside the stronghold. But that is entirely different altogether than the question of strengthening yourself, right? So a, a, a society, a country can strengthen their own capacities, you know, economically, militarily, culturally, whatever it is, right? And then there's a separate question of, okay, now you have an enemy. Are you going to attack them outside of their own boundaries or are you going to attack them in their seat of power? Okay. So in chapter 9, we learn that the seat of the animal soul is in the emotions in the heart, Right? Whereas the animal soul tries to influence all of our decisions, all of our thoughts, all of our behaviors, its real seat, the real place where it resides is in the emotions in the heart. So, what is the Bainani doing? The Bainani is using his godly soul to defeat the animal soul where? In, outside the seat of power. Now, does that also entail dealing with emotions? Yeah, right? But, but you're dealing with the emotions. You're, you're dealing with the emotions. You're not, you're not addressing the underlying thing that I have attachments to klipa, to unholiness. What you're saying is even if I have them, I can not act on them. I can even let go of feeling them, right? I cannot identify strongly with them, right? Whereas here what he's saying is something else entirely where the godly soul has addressed the issue of the animal soul in the animal soul's own home. It has come and changed from having a positive attachment to klipa, to unholiness, to having a negative relationship with that. That's something that we, that our animal soul used to allow us to feel a positive connection with, something unholy. Now we can only feel negative feelings towards that. So the whole chapter 14, if you think about it, we're dealing with how does the godly soul deal with the troubles the animal soul creates. But if you're saying, I'm just lacking in a certain experience, I'm lacking in an experience of trust in Hashem, I'm lacking in an experience of, of, of joy in mitzvahs, that's actually a separate issue altogether. Does that make sense? That, that, in other words, it's important to remember the idea the whole time is working off the idea that there are two souls. If your godly soul is not exuding enough love of Hashem, fear of Hashem, hasn't generated enough trust of Hashem or joy in mitzvahs, is that something you can work on whether you're becoming a tzaddik or not becoming a tzaddik? Yes. Can you use getting in touch with your godly soul to circumvent and the influence your animal soul has on the decisions you make in life and to actually displace the power it has over your decisions in life? Yes, that's what we call the Bainani. Can you use your godly soul's connection to Hashem to change that fundamental thing? The animal soul gives us a sense of positivity towards unholiness and turn that into just a negative feeling, a sense of hatred. And that's something that's not... That is not attainable by every person at every point in time. So it's very, very, there's a very, it's not that we're saying that a Bainani cannot grow in their feelings towards Hashem. We're just saying that a Bainani is limited in how those feelings can end up replacing the feelings of the animal soul. Okay, if I'm going to give you like a very concrete analogy, okay, um, if you don't understand something, you can learn it, right? If someone else doesn't understand something, you can teach them, right? Are there, are, which is greater, the limits on your learning or the limits on your teaching? 
teaching. Why? You can't what? Where's the greater limits? Where's the where is it? Where is it? Where is there more restrictions? Where is there more inability to do something? Because you can't teach more So that's for sure, right? You can't. Your ability to teach can't be greater than your ability to learn, right? But is it is your ability to learn greater than your ability to teach? Like it's never the case that you can teach something that you can't learn, right? That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Is it the case that you can learn things that you can't teach? Why? Because there's always more to know. Why does that happen to you? So you can learn. There's more to learn. There are things that you can learn but you cannot teach. Some things are like too nuanced. Well, you can learn anything. Some things are more intuitive to you than the other things. I, 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 I really do learn everything. Whether you've learned it or not, if you've learned it, now can you teach it? Are there things that even the ones you've learned it, you still cannot okay, teach it? I'm, Why? Some people just don't have the capacity for it. Right, well, just, right. so if you make it very simple, just because you have the capacity doesn't mean that the student has the capacity, right? You have to deal with the student's capacity. Okay, then we can say even if they have the capacity, certain types of learning require um, a process of experience and growth that you cannot give to the student. They have to do it for themselves, right? And be, so, and we can go on and on with different, different aspects of this, but what it comes down to is because you're dealing with someone else, right? It's, you're not, the capacity of your mind and your experience is not what's the limiting factor. What's the limiting factor is the capacity of their mind and their experience. And so, if it's in any way more restricted than your own, you cannot teach them more than what they can receive. Does that make sense? Okay. There's another aspect, which is that, is teaching simply the idea of expressing what you know? No. Now, what is teaching? Taking another person into account. And... Okay. So if I know something and I take you into account, then voila, I can teach you? And then... Getting over what you know, according to what they can handle. Okay, but how do you do that? That's what you're teaching. Okay, so give me some basic techniques. You you can call this out to teach. I know. Which is why I'm disappointed. (laughs) Making me look bad. It's all about my ego. Um, The very fact that there are techniques... Right? The very fact that you have, there's something, I can learn something, I know it for myself, and now I have to, okay, well, what I do, for instance, I, to be able to set the parameters of what you're teaching, right? The ability to figure out what information needs to be presented in which order. None of these things are intrinsic to ha- learning it for yourself, but they're critical if you're going to teach someone else. So, A, there's limitation of the capacity of the other person, and B, there's limitation that you might not have the skills to teach, which are a separate set of skills than the skills to learn things for yourself. Right? Okay. Um, there's a running joke in my shul, which is that people sometimes have a question to Siddhis, and they'll come over to me and ask me a question to Siddhis. And they'll tell me in advance how much time they have. I don't want 40 minutes. I want it in one minute or less. The, the joke being is that, is that some, very often someone asks me a question. I'll go, okay, well, we have to go back to the original source of like, the fundamental issues. Like, like no, just usually answer that question. Right? Um, now, the, 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 the the ability to adjust, like someone asks you a question, can you give the 40 version answer, the 10, the two minute answer? That's not having your ability to know something, it's the ability to figure out how to communicate it to the person, what they need to know, what you can leave out, right? That's a whole separate intellectual skill set and ability. In fact, people can go to school and learn how to do that better, right? Yeah. Make sense? Yes. Okay. So, your, if the question is like this, you have a godly soul. Does your godly soul need to grow in its Feelings towards Hashem, love, fear, trust, joy. Yes or no? No. Yes. You're going to Sure. 
Why not? Because all I ever want is Hashem. All I ever, all that's relevant is Hashem. That's true, but that's in a very narrow, limited sense. That's like the only. Th- that's like a child. That's it's really important for them to have a good relationship with their parents, but there's still more for them to develop. It's to be a full-fledged person, right? And um, do you really want to have the relationship with your parents that is basically the level of, you know, a, t- a two-year-old? No, right? Okay, so you need to develop. You need to learn. Okay. And even that part needs to, even though it doesn't need to be created, it needs to be revealed, right? It needs to be made more visceral, more tangible. So there is definitely what to work on just to make the godly soul a more developed and potent force in our lives, right? Okay. You're developing the godly soul or your experience with the godly soul? Both. How can you, like, develop a piece of God, though? It's not a piece of God. No? We think God is, like, an apple pie and everyone gets a slice. <laughs> like, isn't, isn't that... No. I'm just be clear. Everyone knows that the godly soul is not, like, a little, like, slice of God, right? What is chaylet in that? Okay. <laughs> Detour. Honestly, right? Okay. 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 In Hasidus, and in general, anytime you're dealing with something that you have no direct experience of, it is good to have analogies to explain what something is like in some sense. Okay. Um, and Hasidus especially is re- or heavily reliant on analogies. There's often multiple analogies for something because it has different aspects, but there's usually a core analogy which gets at the main idea of something. Okay. What is the main analogy for the godly soul? No, it's not the main The child of a parent. The child has a piece of parent. Now we could get more specific and actually it has to do with the piece of the father and I don't want to get into it right now because then we'll get to more metaphysics and plus all sorts of gender equality issues would show up. And so we're gonna avoid that issue for today's class because this is already a detour. We're gonna do a detour from the detour. Okay. So you have a parent and you have a child. And Chassiz would say that the child is a piece of the parent. Does that mean the parent has been chopped up into little pieces and every child got a piece? So what does that mean? An extension. Like my arm? Like if you grew another finger. (laughs) So why not just say that every Jew is an arm of God? See, you see the, like, like, let's understand the analogy and then we can go, okay. Now, the analogy is like this. If your parents are goldfish, what are you? Very good. If your parents are chimpanzees, what are you? If your parents are human beings, then you are a? Good. Why? Because the goldfish child received what from the goldfish parents? Goldfishiness. We're gonna think. We're gonna think not in terms of physical things, because we eventually want to correlate it to something. Right? They received what it is to be a goldfish. The goldfishiness. The essence of being a goldfish. Yeah. What it is to be a goldfish. What did the chimpanzee receive from his parents? The answer. What is the chimpanzeeness of a chimpanzee? Right. Okay. What does the person receive from their parents? We have a word for that, actually. Humanity. Their humanity, right? <laughs> right? Your essential humanity, right? You get receive your essential humanity from your parents. Does that mean you are your parents? No. no. Now, one of the aspects of human beings, which is why the analogy is better with human beings, is that human beings are unique individuals, not just a kind of thing. Right? We have a sense, we have a sense that it's not just I am a human being, right? But I am a unique human being with therefore, for instance, I I have things that I own, they belong to me. I have a unique place. I have free will, I have autonomy, right? And so if you receive that from your parents, then that also applies. This is the, this is the rationale. Why do children inherit their parents? Because they are in some, their humanity is in some sense a continuation of the parents' humanity. That's what they receive. But humanity has this kind of individualness to it. So the ownership of the parent kind of lives on in the child. Okay, fine. So... If you have a godly being as a parent, then what kind of a being are you? You are a godly being. You have the essence of what it is to be godly, whatever that means, right? Okay. So in what sense is your soul a piece of God? It is godly. It is godly. How godly is it? 
Exactly. It's, ex- it's as godly as God, right? And how human are you? As human as my faith. Very good. Now, some of your humanity needs to be revealed. Some of your humanity needs to be actualized. For instance, um, the, 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 the desire to live and to develop attachments to other people, right? That's just innate in every human being and you, you know, it needs to be revealed, doesn't it? Right? But, for instance, your language abilities need to be actualized. You're not born with, right, knowing how to speak a language, right? Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So some aspects of the godly soul need to be actualized, such as the soul's sense of the greatness of Hashem. The soul doesn't come into being knowing how great and awesome Hashem is. Mm-hmm. Therefore, any love or fear or respect or trust in Hashem that comes from an awareness of Hashem, the godly soul does not innately have. Any more than children are innately born feeling trust in their parents. As people. Feeling trust in their parents as people. Like you... Um, but children are innately born and trusting their parents is just beings. In other words, like, as you grow up, you start to realize that, like, you know, your parents are more or less trustworthy depending on who they are, right? When babies are born, they have no sense of who the parents are. They just have this kind of innate that, who, that a parental figure is, in essence, trustworthy. It's a different kind of thing, okay? So the godly soul is in that kind of innate connection with Hashem, a sense that Hashem is its life spoke about yesterday, but it doesn't born with, it does not come into being with an innate understanding or awareness of what Hashem is all about. And so there's parts of the godly soul that need to be revealed. There's parts of the godly soul that need to be developed. Okay. And therefore in real life, if a person is lacking in feelings of love of Hashem, fear of Hashem, trust in Hashem, etc., 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 it could be that the godly soul is not sufficiently revealed. It could also be the godly soul is not sufficiently developed. It depends on what the issue is. Good? Now, none of what I just said has to do with anything with having an animal soul. Right. Okay, it's just the godly soul in its own terms. And so there's the growth of the godly soul, per se, in and of itself. Then there's the question of the godly soul's ability to influence yes. and deal with the animal soul. So the Bainani is saying, I am focusing on curtailing the animal soul's influence on how I live my life, on my actions, on my speech, on my thoughts, and even on my feelings in as much as whether those feelings really stick with me, control me, etc. Whereas the, this other thing is focusing on addressing the animal soul itself in its home, in its fortress, which is the very feelings of attachment to unholy things. To address that and remove them. And just because you can do the first thing doesn't necessarily mean you can do but none of this has to do with the fact that your godly soul itself has the ability to grow in its own intellectual, emotional experiences of love and fear and trust, etc. of Hashem. So if someone says, well, let's say we're just going to take that, that misleading statement as true. You can't be a tzaddik. Can you still grow in love of Hashem? Yes. Can you still grow in trust in Hashem? Can you still grow in, in any emotional experience of relationship with Hashem? Yes, you can still grow in that. The question is only be, going to be is can that experience end up having the potency necessary to influence and change the animal soul? And that, where he says, eh, that's not necessarily going to always be available to everybody. Is your animal soul and attached to Kripa as your godly soul is attached to Hashem? No. Can you, like, tamper with that? Yes. That's exactly what the tzaddik is doing. He's tampering with that. Right? Okay? So, if you learn something in Chassidus and it speaks about developing this kind of feeling or transforming and working on yourself, you can't say, oh, well, well, I'm not a tzaddik, so it's not for me. I was like, I should just not, if I'm just not a tzaddik, I just expect, like, just because I developed this doesn't mean it will remove my attachment to unholy things. Okay? Very, very simply. Is it possible for a person who is not a tzaddik to ever get to a state where they never get insulted by other people. Mm-hmm. You get to a state where nobody, no matter how much someone berates you, belittles you, you just don't feel insulted. Mm-hmm. You can get to that if you're not, if you're not going to be a tzaddik? Um, not, no, you're not going to, you're not, fundamentally, the fact that you have an animal soul and you have an attachment to unholy things, can you get to a state where you will n- never ever feel insulted and belittled by another person? No. Why not? 
yourself. Because on some level, you're always going to care about your ego. You're always going to care about your, your, your social status. And therefore, on some level, if the insult is harsh enough and deep enough and cutting enough, you're going to feel some negativity. Okay? And then you're going to have to do the work of the bait and need to not act on it, not speak about it, not think about it, and actually let it go by realizing that the truer part of yourself is your connection to Hashem. Fine. Okay. And even if you have tremendous feelings towards Hashem that you grow on, that won't change that fact. But there is a path of service of Hashem which actually erases or that attachment to your own ego so that if someone does insult you, you really just don't get insulted. And that would be something that would be true of. That's that. So it's not emotion versus not emotion. It's where, what, what's the role of emotion? Is the emotion the battleground between the godly soul and the animal soul per se itself? Or is emotion is the means that we use to live a whole, list, a whole full life when it comes to what we're doing and what we're thinking and what we're saying? Right. If you think about it as a human being, right? Can you ever get to a point of maturity where you're never going to want to waste time? Think about this. Just human beings. We like wasting time, right? Doing things that are purposeless and meaningless. That we either ourselves know are purposeless and meaningless, right? Okay, we like that. Um, are we ever going to get to a point where we're not going to feel that? You're going to grow. Yeah, it feels good after. I'm not asking you. No, but you're not going to want it to begin with. It's just going to seem... Too disgusting. Yeah. No, you're not going to get to that point. Really? Really? It never feels good after. I know that, but that's what I'm asking about after. I'm asking you about from the outset. Are you ever going to get to a point where you never, ever feel lazy? Are you going to get to a point where you never feel um, like you just want, that you just want things that, that aren't yours? Just jealousy. You never feel jealousy. Are you going to get to that? No. no. Can you get to a point that no matter if you do feel it, it does, that doesn't control you at all? Yeah. Okay. See the difference? But so the side thing is saying, okay, this Instead of having any kind of positive attachment to anything ungodly, I have the opposite. I have just negative, just hatred for it. Now it could be complete hatred, incomplete hatred, I'm not going to go into right now. There's different kinds of topic. That is a different thing. That's fighting a war entirely within the heart. Whereas the Bainani, we said the war is being, the war is not just being, the war is being fought out in how we relate to our behavior, which is emotional, but it's not centered on the emotion. Okay? So this is very important. No matter what you're learning in Hasidus, even if it's a lofty spiritual level, is there some way of understanding how that could be part of a person's spiritual growth even if they're not a tzaddik? Yes. The thing is, will that ever be, enable you to necessarily remove the attachments we feel to klipa, to unholiness? That's maybe not. So let me say... At Barabbas Mitzvah, the godly soul comes in. Does that mean it starts developing? Or it that means that you are sufficiently mature for you to take responsibility of what we learned about in the first part of chapter 14. So it's not that all of a sudden it like... It's not all of a sudden, boom, boom, godly soul! No, what it means is you as a human being have sufficiently developed the maturity necessary to say, wait a minute, what's really important to me in life? It's my connection to Hashem. And I'm not going to let how I feel you know, hijack that. At what point are you old enough to take on that responsibility in living your life? Not at six. You don't have to wait till 16 either. How old? 12, 13. 12 if you're a girl. Because girls mature faster. And then, so then why is it called like a piece? Like why is the word chalik used? Why is the word chalik used? There's many reasons. Um, a simple reason is that um, when you have a piece of something, it is the same thing as the original. If I have a piece of an apple, it is, an, it is apple just as much as the original apple, right? So if you think about that in a, in a conceptual sense, a child is a piece of the parent in the sense that they are the same, they, they are the same kind of thing because they are taken from that thing, but not like a piece in the sense of you've caught the little piece and now it's like, not like that. Not like God divides himself into a bunch of little stuff and sticks it everywhere. That would be silly. God isn't made of pieces. Sorry. People like to think there's a little piece of God. It's only metaphorically speaking. Or philosophically speaking, but not actually God is made up of little pieces. Good?
Okay. This cannot be attained. Okay, so let that specific thing, I want to confront my animal soul in its layer, in the inner recesses of my heart, in its attachment to klipa, right? That can only be it. And I want to change that from being positive towards klipa, positive towards unholiness and ungodliness, to the opposite, to just a total rejection, negativity, and antipathy, right? How do I do that? This can only be attained truly and sincerely, or say this cannot be attained truly and sincerely, except through great and intense love of Hashem, the kind of ecstatic love of divine bliss which is akin to the world to come. What kind of love do you have to experience to develop the kind of hatred necessary to banish any attachments to, godly, to ungodliness, to klipa? You have to experience the kind of love for Hashem, which is akin to what you experience in the world to come. In order to hate evil? Yeah. Well, isn't that, you know? Okay. So, what do you experience in the world to come that you don't experience in this world? Revelation. Mm hmm. <coughs> That's right. In the world to come, you get to experience what is called the radiance of the Shekhinah. Okay? And in this world, do we get to experience the radiance of the Shekhinah? No. Okay, now, I can oversimplify or I can make this rich. I'm going to make it rich. Okay? So, the first thing I want to do is I want to make a list of a person, different parts of a person, okay? Um, to make this not confusing, I'm going to use the board. Okay? Good? Yeah. Okay. There's two disease, personal versus professional, experience versus knowledge. Okay, so you go to the doctor. What aspect of the person are you getting? The personal or the professional? Personal. What? Oh, you go to the doctor. Personal or professional? Professional. Professional. Now, you might have tremendous amount of feelings toward the doctor. They were very, they were very good at what they do. They were very gracious. They helped you out. Right? You might have other feelings because they're a lousy doctor, right? But you're sense of the doctor is in the professional capacity, right? Um, your spouse, your children? Personal. Personal, right? Oh. No, you <laughs> personal, right? Okay. Now, what's the difference between personal and professional? In personal, you're seeing them. In professional, you're seeing how well they can play a Role. Does that make sense? Yes. So if I, want to, if I want to see who they are, it has to be some kind of a personal thing. If I want to see how capable they are, it's in a professional, right? Good? Make sense? Okay. Um, now, what's the difference in experience and knowledge? So um, everyone here has family members that they have direct experience of? So you have experience of the personal aspects of them, right? Um, now, are you currently experiencing them? Are they here? No. So right now you don't have experience. Right now you have? Now, that knowledge is gained from, but are there other ways of gaining knowledge of who someone is on a personal level? Yeah, what, what are other ways? Right. For instance, if I were to tell you some stories about my children, right? 
you might get a, start to get a sense of who they are, right? Even though you have no direct experience, right? Have you ever read a biography about somebody and felt feelings towards the person but you never met them? Right? Because you're being given knowledge of their, who they are on a personal level, even though you have no experience of it, yes? And of course, the same thing. You can be given knowledge of someone, how someone is capable or incapable of acting in a certain professional capacity, right? So knowledge, as opposed to experience, experience is something where they're there and I'm, and I'm actually having that experience. Knowledge is what I have for myself even when they're not present which could be gained from what, what's left over after experience, or it could also be gained without direct experience through other means. That make sense? Okay? All right. So now. I'm going to put four different things and now, not in terms of a person, but in terms of Hashem on the board, okay? So, we're going to start with, who has direct experience with Hashem in a professional capacity? Always. Okay, those are going to be souls. By the way, I don't want to write, write stuff on the board necessarily, so by souls, I mean the souls of? Why, why no, sorry, actually not Jews. Jews. Okay. No, I want to do it. It's actually not going to make it. Why wouldn't you say that every creation wait, 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 wait. has experienced Okay. Is godly souls, angels. But the godly souls, there's a caveat. Where godly souls is before. experience of Hashem? Yes. But only in a professional class. Your godly soul directly experiencing how Hashem is creating and governing the world, and that's amazing and wonderful. But does the godly soul truly no. know Hashem on a personal level? No. So, on that level, it's kind of hard to differentiate between the godly soul and the angel. Okay? Who has direct experience of Hashem on a personal level? Hashem Godly souls. After death. After the person dies and they go back up to spiritual realms, now the godly soul has direct experience of a shaman. First level, what's the difference? Why now there's direct experience of a shaman on the personal level, where here there's only direct there's only direct experience of a on the professional level? Why what makes that shift? What? Living a life. But Living a life. I don't know what. What, well, what? 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 happens in between birth and death? In godly sense, mitzvahs. And the doing of mitzvahs is what makes that possible. Okay. We're not going to go into that right now, but that's that's what makes that possible. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So here, your godly soul might be full of love and love because you think the is so awesome. Look at how powerful Shem is. How wonderful Shem creates the world. Blah, blah, blah. But right, that's kind of a professional. You know, wonder and admiration. This is much deeper. So when we say that you are the soul is, is delighting in the radiance of the shun we're referring to. Okay. Okay. Um, who has knowledge of Hashem in a professional capacity? Not experience, but knowledge. Person very So that's going to be the, the animal soul. The animal soul, now, is that automatic? The animal soul has to apply to itself. If your animal soul sits and thinks, wait a there's a world, how do it come into existence? It must be a god, right? You do all that kind of stuff. Can the animal soul start to know things about how capable Hashem is, how powerful Hashem is, how awesome Hashem is, yes? Is that because it's having direct experience? No. No, it's learning from experience of the world to great knowledge of Hashem. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so that's the animal soul, but there's a caveat. You, this requires... In the body. Right? This requires... Can I use the Hebrew word for that? I don't know what that means. Okay. 
This is with a logo, right? Okay. What about knowledge of Hashem on a personal level? Who has that? That the godly soul. And that godly soul being where? In this is in life, but is that knowledge automatic or it also requires a vote? It doesn't require it. does? It doesn't have an innate But remember, the innate sense of Hashem is just like a person's innate sense that they value life, right? Or the innate attachment a parent a child has to a parent. At infancy, it has right? to be right. In order for that to be of real use, you still need to do some kind of an avoid, right? right? So it's different. It's it's a way of revealing and making tangible and making concrete. But fine, it's a different kind of way. Where the gem is totally new, but there is no avoid. So that's in life, right? And also, yeah. Okay. Now. If you have knowledge of how great somebody is, you can have feelings for them, right? If you have experience, you can have feelings for them, right? But of all of the different things, which one of these is the most, which one of these, if I have to say, at least four different types of things, which one is different than the other ones? The animal soul. The animal soul? I've never actually experienced. This was also an I mean, think, about think about it in real life. If you have knowledge of someone professionally, but you never experienced them, you have knowledge of someone personally, never experienced them in your life, you have experience of them, but only in a professional capacity, or you have direct experience of them personally. Which one is fundamentally different than all the other ones? Direct. Direct personal experience. Does everyone see why that's fundamentally different? Right. When I am spending time with my children, right, the kind of closeness I have with that then is a direct closeness. This is not direct, this is not direct, this is not direct. This isn't direct because it's being mediated by the role they're playing, the professionalism. This is not direct because it's knowledge, it's not a direct experience, right? And this is doubly indirect, right? So the kind of closeness, the kind of intimacy, the kind of attachment, and therefore the kinds of yearning and feelings and closeness, right? In other words, the kind of love one feels here is fundamentally different than anything else. Good? Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Um, why does a godly soul not have personal experience of God, even in life? Because just because you don't feel it doesn't mean godly soul will experience it. Like, I have direct personal um, experiences with my parents, and we say that soul is like the child of your parent. Right, but, but there's two different things. You have, there's, there's the existential fact that you're the child of your parents, and there's the fact that your parents raised you growing up. Those are two different things, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's the existential fact that the godly soul is godly, but the godly soul's experience of Hashem before it comes into the world is seeing Hashem in the capacity of the creator of the universe, which is not the truth of Hashem. Only after the soul comes back, after having been mitzvahs, there's a kind of pass through the curtain and see Hashem on a personal. If you actually think with your parents, you have the same thing. While your parents might feel they know you, you don't really know them until you start becoming a more mature person. Right? Like my four-year-old doesn't know me. My 13-year-old <laughs> starting to get a sense of it. He's like, you know, this is the kind of person you are. You start to, and, and then even there, to even see your parents really as full-fledged people, things, you know, into adulthood and whatever. Let's not take the analogy too far. Okay. This kind of thing is very different because what are you doing? You're experiencing. Right? You're, right? And so when you're in that, when you have that kind of experience of closeness to Hashem, how do you feel towards people? It's disgusting. It's like at that, when you're experiencing, when a person's experiencing this, they, there's no place for Klippa in their reality. There's just, it, it's absolutely, they can't have. If you're experiencing these kinds of love, can they override the attachment they have to Klippa? In other words, I really want to be close to Shem, and I also really want something unholy, but the wanting something for close to Shem is more important to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you see, you know, 
if you are there's a, there's a, there's a kind of there's a kind of feeling of I'm with Hashem truly for who He is. I'm having a, a sense of what Hashem really is. And when a person is having that kind of closeness, anything ungodly just loses any sort of appeal. It just seems foul. It seems disgusting. But if you're having any of these other kinds of awareness of Hashem, the, direct, the, the consequent feelings of love and desire, they just can be more important to you, more powerful, more, more significant to you. But they don't really address the animal soul's desire for unholy things. What kind of love does the person have to have to be at tzaddik? They have to be experiencing Hashem on the personal level, which basically means they're experiencing what it's like to be in Gan Eden after having lived a life of Torah mitzvahs before they die. That's, what, that's, that's the kind of experience of Hashem needed to generate the love that really displaces, really eradicates the, the, the attachment to Klippa and the animal soul. Any other type of feelings you have towards Hashem, no matter how powerful and how intense and how deep they are, they will not touch the animal soul at its core. They will not have that effect of actually removing the attachment that we have towards Klippa. And therefore, the person is still in the realm of abandoning, managing their unholy desires rather than actually eradicating them. Okay. This is ecstatic love and divine bliss. Okay, what does the word bliss mean? What? Give me something that you would describe as bliss. In the physical sense. Like is really, really wanting to go home and see your parents bliss? No. No. What will be just what will be bliss? Like what experience? Yeah. Can you describe it? A blissful experience on the human level. Going to sleep what? In a comfortable bed. Going to sleep in a comfortable bed when? When you're tired. When you're tired. Why is that blissful? <laughs> very simple why is that blissful because it's like exactly what you want exactly that's it it's exactly what you want you're having, right okay so what it happens for the godly soul in Gan Eden they're having a direct experience of Hashem on a personal level that's exactly what the soul wants and that kind of love and that kind of experience is totally transformative right but what if closest to Hashem is really really important to you or you're close to Hashem but there's a, there's a veneer, there's a garment, there's a role. Hashem is playing, do, you're close to Hashem in that kind of professional capacity. It's not really blissful for the soul because it's not really truly getting. It's more experiencing the wanting. It's experiencing the intensity. It's experiencing how important it is to me. On different ways and for different levels. Okay? Of this experience, the rabbi said, you shall see your world in your lifetime meaning you get to experience your, the world to come while you're still alive. And not every man can attain the state, for this is the nature of a gracious reward. In other words, what's happening? The person is being rewarded, right? Really, that kind of experience is the reward for having lived a life of striving to be closer to Hashem through Torah mitzvahs, right? And what's this person experiencing? That, that reward, but their life isn't over yet. You know, it's like the, the kid who, this is a silly example, but it illustrates the point a little bit. There's, you know, sometimes like you give kids like uh, rewards for doing things. Like if you make your bed every day or something, you get like, you know, whatever. Okay. So what if, what if, what if the kid is doing well? So even though they have a lot more to do, you just give them a reward in advance. <laughs> That's like a double reward, right? Now you get rewarded, but you got rewarded in advance of... The Finishing what you were doing. That's what has to happen to a person to become a tzaddik. They have to experience the kind of experience that you really only legitimately are entitled or capable of receiving after passing on from this world and not being restricted by the body, not being restricted by the animal soul, having done Torah mitzvahs. And that through all of that, the person now is capable of being shown who Hashem really is 
in, in a very intimate way, and they experience this blissful state of, of, of being just enchanted and enthralled and close and intimate with Hashem, and that's wonderful, that's Gan Eden, of which there are many, many layers to that as well. What would it mean for a person to be granted that experience while they're still on earth? What? So, no matter, and this is the idea, no, it just doesn't matter how much you love Hashem, if your love is the kind of love of desire, of I want to be closer, or your love of Hashem is mediated through some other thing, like how powerful He is in creating the world or something like that, that that cannot, no matter how powerful and how intense and how real that love is, it will not be able to do what? Get rid of the hate. Get rid of the get rid disgust. of the get it won't be able to generate the disgust of cleave, it won't be able to get rid of the negativity of the animal soul. On the other hand, the slightest experience of Ganeden, of, of experiencing directly Hashem in a personal way, the slightest taste of that, if it's real, will do what to a person? Remove their any Right, so this is, this is critical to understand. It's not, a, it's not, there's more. It's just a different kind of an experience. It's qualitatively something different. This is what's known in Hebrew as ava batainubim, the love of delight, the love of bliss. Why is the Nishan before birth and having a professional experience? Because it's the mitzvahs that make the Nishama capable of receiving this, and it has not any mitzvahs mm-hmm. yet. That's a good question, but it's not for right now. Just, I'll give you an analogy. If you go to the most amazing class on a topic, but you don't speak the language and you're unfamiliar with the background information, you will have a miserable time. And all you will notice is how capable the person is using rhetorical skill and moving around the stage, right? But you won't really get what they're saying. In a similar sense, Torah mitzvah is done properly, gives the soul, gives the neshama the capacity to, to see Hashem in that kind of way. There's more we go into, but it's not really pretty for now. Um, can a tzaddik lose this? Like if he loses that love, that, that experience, then he reverts back to, to not being disgusted by evil? Or is it like a, you experience it once and then you're good? Okay. You ready? You don't have this in front of you. I'm going to read from later on in time, okay? There are two kinds of love. One is the natural yearning of the soul to its creator. This is like a flame which ascends of its own accord and rejoice and exult in God and delight with wondrous, keyword, bliss. Okay, that's one kind of love. Okay, the soul just... Oh, I've never been there. Okay, but okay. Right? Those who merit this state are called tzaddikim. Good. Blah, 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 The second love is a love which every person can attain when he engages in Profound contemplations, the depths of heart are matters which arouse love. So in other words, you're, you are trying to get to know Hashem in a way that creates a love where you desire Hashem, right? Not bliss. Okay? Then, there is a verse that says, I'm skipping around. A tzaddik falls seven times and rises up. This is because a person is called mobile and not static that in order to ascend from level to level, you can't remain in the same place. And so between one level and the next level, you must have a decline. In other words, if you want to go from one state of bliss to a higher state of bliss, what has to happen? Fall. You have to fall. Isn't childhood wonderful? Like, are there mo- there's, a, there's, a, there's like real moments of childhood where it's just like, this is like, it's just pure goodness, yes? Mm-hmm. Does that also, does it just also exist as an adult? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they the same? Can you hold on to the purity of those childhood experiences and seamlessly transition into those experiences in adulthood? No, you have to kind of let go of childhood to become an adult and 
in the middle you have the chaos of being a teenager where everything is absolutely miserable. Okay, similarly, if you have a tzaddik who is experiencing this avabatainugim, this love of bliss, they're experiencing one level of Gan Eden, and now they want to move, or Hashem wants to move them to a different layer of that, to experience that bliss in a more profound way, what has to happen? They have to lose it. Between one level and the next, before he can reach the higher one, he's in a state of decline from the previous level. And yet, even though he falls, he's not cast down because he has that other kind of love, the love he generates of his own accord. What does it mean to be a tzaddik? It means to experience this kind of love like the godly soul experiences after death from the mitzvahs. Direct experience of who Hashem is on a personal level. Not personal to me, personal for him. Who he is, you know, and that, as long as the person has having a taste of that, they're a tzaddik. And if they lose that, are they a tzaddik? Yeah. No. Well, not for the time. Not for the time being. Yeah. Now, but that's, there's this other kind of love. And so this idea is like, can it, like and this is the Altar of the Altar of this is introduction to the second section of Tanya. He discusses this idea, that's where I was quoting from, that having that experience makes a person a tzaddik. Losing it, you're not a tzaddik. But the tzad person doesn't really lose it because even though they've lost it, they're still in the transition of having it. It's right. It's like um, that if you still know how to maintain your desire for Hashem is the most important part of your life. So you lose it and then that blissful state comes back on an even higher level. And so tzaddikim are constantly growing and changing and all these types of things. And there's stories of that. You know, like there's famous stories of the Balshemta where the Balshemta lost all of his you know, sense of Hashem on these loftier levels and had to just be like us. But he didn't fall down to being a Russian. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a tzaddik. A tzaddik is someone whose the, the attachment to evil has been completely removed. Right? They have a hatred for evil. Why? Because they're experiencing this kind of love for Hashem, a love of bliss, and that's really a reward. A, and it's a double reward to be able to experience it in this life. So when it's taken away, they do want, they do desire evil. Well, that depends how they deal with that. If, if, if at that point, they don't let the fact that that disappears affect them and they continue to work on just strengthening their desire for Hashem, then they never like, fall into the state of like losing it completely. It's like, um, if I give you an analogy, it's if a person is, if a person is jumping, so even though they're over a chasm, if they're, if they're moving fast enough, right, they're not going to fall down into the chasm, right? So if the, the person is, is, a, is making sure that they're always driven by their desire for Hashem, even when they lose that state, so they're technically not experiencing the tzaddik thing, but they haven't fallen completely off, and then before they fall down, they get to the next higher level again, and so it's not really a problem for them. But if, in theory, they lost that state, and they didn't work on pursuing Hashem, then they would fall away from being inside completely, yeah? And then they would fall down into being like us. Even though just pursuing Hashem usually won't make you... Right, because, that, because they lost it in the state of moving from one level to the next, right? It's like, like in the transition of going from childhood to adulthood, that's fine, but like if you really mess up that transition, you could end up worse off than you were as a child, or you could end up as a dysfunctional human being, which is like the worst thing, right? I always like, I walk here in the men's program and you see people on the street sometimes you're just like you wonder like what happened be-? like they were like regular children in school and then you see this person on the street and like what happened right I'm not blaming them I'm just saying like something happens it's not like you know a person who's clearly not right in some sense and then you've just like like not out of judgment just like there's, there's yeah there's 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 that drop down from childhood before adulthood, but that drop down is not supposed to like fall off the cliff. And the same thing, right? The tzaddik might lose that state in order to get that state on a higher level, but they should have the kind of love that we all are working on, the love of desiring Hashem, knowing having a connection to Hashem, all of that, to carry them through the transition. They don't fall off completely. If they don't do that, then, 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 then it's a real problem. So the only reason they're, they're, they're not hate, they're not they didn't lose their hate for evil is because they're kind of like 
You mean the only reason off. they didn't gain the hate for you? Yeah, they that. didn't gain it back is because they're running off of what they had. The right, right. They're running off of what they had of pursuing the next level. But if that were to stop, then you're right. They would... But yeah, what I want you so, and the thing is, I think it should be obvious to all of us, like that kind of experience is not something we can decide to have on our own. We're going to talk later about like what the conditions are, why it works, right? But I just want you to think that, that it, there's this dimension of love where love is focused on my awareness of Hashem or my soul, that whatever it is that's building this deep desire to be connected, the sense that it's important, the sense that it's meaningful, the sense that it's the most basic thing for me, whatever, whatever, whatever. None of that ever approximates the bliss of being close to Hashem by having a kind of direct experience of His divinity. And that's what needs to happen in order for a person's animal soul to be defeated on its own home turf. Now, if you want to grow in your godly soul's other experiences, by all means, you should grow in those, but none of those things will have the effect of transforming the person into a tzaddik. Not the trust, not the other things. Okay? You can be so invested in something that it overwhelms and overshadows. That's something that can happen. You can be so invested that you're unaware of some aspect of yourself, but like that it's not there. That you, you only, that, that's all. Okay, we'll end here. But I think it's important to reflect on the fact that, that Sadiq is not having a higher level of love. It's a different kind of love. It's the it's the kind of love that you can only have when you are embracing the one you love that one that you love when you're embracing the person that that you you have a deep desire for and you're experiencing them directly. Right. It's a gift for working really hard. What? It's like a gift for working really hard. Good. Okay. Fine. So we will continue this topic um, next week. Tomorrow's questions and answers. Please prepare questions.